turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hey, welcome back into the Bruce Hooley Show. Jack Windsor here, 98.9 FM, The Answer. And real quick, uh, we had a caller, I think it was Robert in Columbus, who was weighing in on on Vivek Ramaswamy. Before we go to the phone lines here, I just want to make sure that I say something that I didn't say before that I meant to, and then I got off track. Imagine that. Um, There's a lot of scuttlebutt about Vivek now because he has elevated his political profile being a legitimate candidate for governor in Ohio in 2026. So we'll talk about that uh, with, with Bob Clegg here uh, on the other side. Uh, but I want to go right to the phone line and I'm going to welcome in John Patton, John Patton uh, with alpha beta report. You can find them at alpha beta report.com. And uh, this was a continuing dialogue with Mr. Patton. John, welcome back in. How are you today, sir? How are you? Hey, I'm super fantastic. So we've talked in the past couple of episodes about the difference between a central bank digital currency and digital currency. And there have been some real world case studies, countries that have tried to adopt a CBDC and some have rejected it. Real quick, before we dive in, just a a, a 30 second, remind our listeners, because they might be listening to you for the first time, the difference between a digital currency and a central bank digital currency. And then we'll jump off the diving board there. Yeah, so real simply, a a digital currency, like Bitcoin being the most prominent, is just a digital means of exchange. Uh, It is run and tracked in a decentralized fashion, meaning people all over the world contribute to the network that processes those transactions, which means there's really no central authority or government or central bank that controls or drives any of that. A central bank digital currency, on the other hand, uh, as the name would imply, is controlled by a central bank. Uh, So it would be as if our own central bank issued a digital dollar and they controlled the processing of all of the transactions and, importantly, could track the information behind all of those transactions and who was transacting money. So in the United States, if you listen to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, the U.S. government is reportedly exploring the creation of a CBDC or a central bank digital currency. And Yellen says, well, it will help lower transaction costs and support faster payment infrastructure. My question to you, John, is first of all, whenever Janet Yellen says something, I'm immediately looking in the opposite direction for clues that she's lying uh, sorry to go there, but why is there a significant growing interest in digital currency? Yes, your 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 default response to when Janet Yellen speaks is probably correct. Um, <laughs> there's always an ulterior motive here when we're talking about digital currencies, and it's not necessarily wrong that it will decrease transaction costs and make things more efficient. Those things are probably very true. But the reason that so many governments are looking into them is really for use as a mechanism of control. 
And I wanted to take the opportunity to to talk a little bit about how we're seeing the foundations for that being laid here in the United States. Okay. There was a law that passed uh, in November of 2021. It's called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And as is tradition, um, there were things in that law that had nothing to do with the name of the law. Uh, one of them is a provision that amended the tax code to require anyone who receives $10,000 or more in cryptocurrency in the course of an individual transaction or doing business uh, to report to the IRS about that transaction. Uh, the report has to include the name, address, and social security number of the person from whom the, trans the, the funds were received, the amount that was received, and the date and nature of the transaction. If you fail to file this report within 15 days of receiving that transaction, you can be found guilty of a felony. That law became effective on January 1st of this year. So today, the 16th of January, being 15 days from you know, January 1st, um, basically has made a undisclosed number of Americans uh, de facto felons if they are transacting in any significant amount of crypto. Now, the, the kicker to this is that the IRS currently has no form available to actually submit this information. What? But realistically... Go ahead. Sorry, I'm laughing. You Submit the information, but we have no form for you on which to do it. Exactly, yes. Um, but, but part of the foundation of crypto is that most of the transactions are private. I don't know who I transact with if I'm sending Bitcoin from point A to point B or, you know, I don't know who's, who's purchasing something if they're sending Bitcoin to my shop, right? Uh, so reporting the name, the social security number, the address of someone who is, is sending me crypto, it's a joke. It's, it's not feasible to actually do that. And so it's just a law that allows the Treasury Department to uh, make anyone that they want to a felon if they're using crypto. But this is what I'm talking about when I say that we're laying the foundation for a digital dollar because we have these regulations that keep piling up regarding crypto that don't make sense. Mm. We have the SEC that refuses to provide clarity on how they're enforcing rules surrounding crypto to the point that Coinbase is, is suing them, right? Wow. At some point... It's all going to come to a head, and Congress is going to come out and say, all right, we need clarity, we need consistency, we're going to establish a CBDC to make everything clear and easy and efficient, uh, and we'll have, we'll have a digital dollar at that point. But the whole purpose behind that is to allow more efficient tracking of how people are spending money. See, this law, this change, really came from an old requirement to report uh, $10,000 cash transactions right. right? because transacting in cash used to be anonymous. And then it became, okay, if you send $600 on Venmo, you need to report information about that transaction and starting to require companies to do that. Well, now they're attacking crypto, right? And so it'll be $10,000 in crypto now. It'll be $600 in crypto soon. Uh, at some point, it'll be any amount. And it'll become so unfeasible to legally transact in crypto that it'll just make sense to start using the CBDC out of convenience. 
I don't want to oversimplify what you just laid bare for all of this to understand, and you did an incredible job. But if I were to summarize that in my own mind, the CBDC, or Central Bank Digital Currency, will be pitched not only as a lower-cost, higher-speed transaction solution, but it will be a solution to a problem that the government created. We have these laws – (laughs) That don't apply and it's creating confusion and the SEC refuses to provide clarity and Congress is going to step in and go, well, wait a minute. We'll just fix this problem. Let's just all get on this central bank digital currency and that will solve everything. That's crazy. You've got got folks in Congress today that are already talking about how crypto is, is unregulated. It's the Wild West and people are losing money on scams all the time. In reality... The vast majority of scams take place with the dollar, with credit cards, with phishing, right? Crypto is a relatively small part of that pie. But anything that happens in crypto is going to be highlighted as a major problem. And the only solution will be one that the government can provide. Ironically, as you pointed out, uh, a solution to a problem that they themselves have created. So we've got about 30 seconds here, and I, and I hate to ask you this question, but this will maybe be our teaser into our next segment. If we know CBDC is coming, is there anything that we can do to be off the radar? It's getting harder and harder. Cash, as far as remaining anonymous, remaining private, is still king. Um, being anonymous or private in crypto is is increasingly difficult. All I can say as as a final word is that I would really encourage people to do some due diligence research on the candidates that you were looking to vote for. And those candidates that are in favor of CBDCs, maybe take a deeper look into their motivations as to why. Couldn't say it any better. That's why we love him. He's John Patton, Alpha Beta Report. Find them at alphabetareport.com. John, thanks for stopping in today. Can't wait to have you back next time. Thanks, Jack. All right. Hey, uh, we've got Bob Clegg here for one more segment, and that's on the other side of this break. So stay tuned. Talking Turkey about national politics. Congratulations on your engagement. The first thing you need to do is pick your venue. And if you are in looking mode right now, you need to go to the Legacy on Possum Run. The legacy on possumrun.com. When you get there, you can sign up for the vendor open house on January 27th. But more importantly, you'll get to see the three beautifully unique spaces that comprise the venue. Calendars there so you can see what dates are available in 2024. I'm telling you, you better get over there quickly because they're filling up fast. Pricing's on the website, so there's no guesswork. And uh, check out the legacy on possum run at the legacy on possumrun.com. Disclaimer my wife and I run that business. So when you do business with us, we benefit and we appreciate you. Uh, Let's talk more GOP presidential election stuff. We're joined in studio by Bob Clegg. And, Bob, I'm going to break it down this way and then okay. let me know what you, your thoughts are. All right. <clears throat> I think after the Iowa caucuses, Trump's the big winner. Yep. He won by a majority. I think DeSantis is a loser because even though he got second place, and that's somewhat of a win, he punched his ticket. But I think the margin's too high for him to make any waves. And then I think Nikki Haley, one, was almost expected to play second. So I think she's the biggest loser by not placing second. But now she's got a ton of pressure on her in the next primary. So 
I want to get your thoughts on winner loser. And then my, my question to you is going to be, can Nikki Haley win this thing? And then I'll have a follow-up question after that. Okay. Um, all right. As far as Ron DeSantis, I think the biggest problem Ron DeSantis has is he was in too good a shape when he started his campaign. Yeah. If you remember when he started running, which was May of this uh, 2023. Yeah. Um, he was pretty close to Trump in national polling. Yes. And then all the indictments started, trials, Trump numbers started going up. Therefore, what happens? DeSantis numbers go down. And I think that's always been his biggest problem in this campaign was he was too much of a contender in the beginning. If he had started out nowhere and ended up with 21% of the vote in Iowa, mm-hmm. everybody would be saying, oh, my gosh, he's the guy to watch. Yep. But well it actually didn't work that way for him. Now, Nikki Haley, I think she's got a problem in that, number one, I think she's starting to turn into the anti-Trump candidate, which is only going to hurt her in Republican primaries, okay? In a general, it might help her, but in a in a Republican primary, it doesn't help her. And number two, um, she didn't do. I mean, she's been supposedly getting momentum, right? Which meant everybody was talking. Oh, maybe she can even beat Ron DeSantis in Iowa, which she didn't. Did not. Well, now the problem she has is she's got to pretty much win New Hampshire to keep whatever momentum she has going. And if she doesn't win New Hampshire, then she's going to be done. Because then the next state is South Carolina. And even at this point, the president is is polling better better than her. And that's her home state. And that's her home state. She was governor. She was governor there. So um, I think if she ends up not winning New Hampshire, I think she's done. Okay. So here's my – I would agree with you. I would agree with you. A great analysis, by the way, of Ron DeSantis. And here's my question. First of all, Donald Trump's going to win the nomination. Yes. That's going to happen. Yes. Now the question to me is who is his running mate? And if you grew up, ever grew up on a farm, I did. My grandparents had a farm. You ever walk into a pig pen, the hog house, the stink stays on mm-hmm. you. It does. So <laughs> Nikki Haley's really liked by college-educated Republicans. Yeah. She's really liked by – independents, Democrats, and dare I say, rhinos, Republicans in name only. Does Donald Trump put her on the ticket? And if he does, can he stay away from the stink? Meaning, I mean, this is, she's big war. She's big rhino. Um, Donald Trump didn't have a war. Nikki Haley seems to be funded by the war machine. Yeah. Do you think that that is something that could happen? And would it help or hurt Trump to have Nikki Haley on the ticket with him? Oh, geez, you're asking me to try to think and get in the head of Donald Trump, which is <laughs> which is he's not thinking about hairy legs. I can tell you that. Like yeah, Mr. no, Biden. he's not. Um, I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. Uh, if you look at his speech last night in Iowa, uh, he gave a very magnanimous speech. I mean, talked well about everybody, all of all the people running against him. Um, I think Donald Trump really wants to win badly in November. Yes. And I think Donald Trump is smart enough in his head to say, whatever I need to do to win in November, I'm going to do. 
Now, I'm not saying he needs to pick Nikki Haley as his vice presidential candidate to win in November. Mm -hmm. But if he thinks that, and and I could see advisors telling him, you know, you got a problem with suburban people, namely suburban women, putting her on the ticket may help you a lot in those areas. And, you know, I could, I think personally he'd be a lot better off with Ron DeSantis as his running mate than, than Nikki Haley because I think they're much more compatible. I think they believe the same things. Um, but, I, you know, I could see him going in the Nikki Haley direction if he really truly believes that that's going to get him the election. I think if I looked at a Venn diagram, I think the overlap between Trump voters and DeSantis voters would be more prominent than Haley voters and Trump voters. Well, yeah, all you have to do is if you question Trump voters and say, okay, if for some reason President Trump isn't running, who would you vote for? Vast, vast majority go to Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I think it would be Ron DeSantis and to a smaller degree Vivek Ramaswamy prior to last night. And so it makes, to me, the probability of a Nikki Haley on the ticket more alluring because I think it, it somewhat solves the suburban area problem. We hope. We hope. But here's something really interesting. And this is uh, these are weeds we're not going to go into today, but we'll have you back on and we'll talk about it. Yesterday, I was reading verbatim from an article written by Molly Ball that was published in Time, February of 2021, that really was a recount of what happened in 2020 and how there was a cabal, a hidden secret group of people across the political spectrum that included big business and non-government organizations that colluded to make sure Trump didn't win the White House. Dare I say there were rhinos in that group? Dare I say that some of the companies that fund Nikki Haley probably supported that group? Wouldn't it be interesting if Nikki Haley was on the ticket with Donald Trump? I think it creates a huge splinter in the effort to make sure Donald Trump doesn't win the White House. Um, Could. I mean, it's it's also like, though, get her on the ticket because then she'll be the next president. Get her in line to become president. And because they want their person in, you're right. I mean, there was a cabal yep. and they, they're they still there. They didn't go away. And there, there was a cabal. And I know we don't have time to hit this. We're going to talk about it on the other side of this break. But former State House uh, reporter said, listen, the poll in Iowa showed that nearly two thirds of GOP caucus goers believe that the, the lie that Joe Biden did not legitimately win the 2020 election. And I would say if you've not reported it on a couple of key things we'll talk about next, it wasn't a lie. It was that the cabal worked yeah. an incredible and, operative campaign. Yeah, and, and we saw it. I mean, they but see, they don't recognize that because it's whatever it takes to beat Donald Trump, it's legitimate. It's not illegitimate. When there are oppressors and the oppressed, the oppressed can do anything and get away with it. Mm-hmm. BLM. Yep. Anti-Israel. Yep. Folks, we're in for a heck of a 2024. Bob Clegg, thanks for joining us today, sir. My pleasure, Jack. Hey, more on the other side of the break.